Hey guys, today we're going to be talking with Sarah on Instagram. You can find her at Equine Apprentice. Uh, and she is a good friend of mine, and she was actually just visiting here in Texas with me for a couple weeks. We did some clinics together and uh, trained together for a couple weeks, and um, we just had a really good time and a lot of conversations while she was here, and I had hoped to record a podcast while she was here, but we didn't get a chance. We were too busy playing with horses. So she's back at her home in Michigan, and I asked her if she would call in and do a podcast recording with me to talk about a topic that is very complicated, but I felt like she was extremely qualified to be able to go through this thought process and talk about the why it's so complicated with me, um, because she does have a lot of hands-on experience, firsthand on first whatever first hands experience first hand experience oh my gosh I can't talk today with horses that have come out of true abuse and neglect cases horses that are starving to death horses that um, are just free breeding and um, horses that have horrendous feet and you can just imagine I mean she I think at one point the rescue that she was at had 60 horses um, so she is not living in La La Land as far as what defines abuse and what it looks like. She actually knows what it looks like. She's seen it. She's seen a lot of it. She's helped a lot of horses through it to get past it, uh, adopted out a lot of horses. Um, so she was very qualified to be able to discuss this with me and you guys. And so I hope you enjoy this podcast. The recording audio might be a little unclear because it is a phone conversation. And there's a few moments where it kind of cuts out just a little bit, but hopefully you get the just the uh, the feeling of the conversation and get a bunch to take away and gives you some thoughts to think on as far as what defines abuse and neglect in horses. Well, hello, Sarah. Hello. How are you doing today? Good. It stopped raining finally, so. Oh, good. Well, um, so we had, when you were here in Texas, we had started talking about, I was going to say briefly, but we didn't, so we don't briefly talk about anything, um, but we had started talking about what the definition of abuse is in animals, particularly horses, since we're both horse people, and um, I thought this would be something that I would love to discuss with you further, as you have worked for a long time in a very large rescue with many horses that were by, I guess, law enforcement definition, abused. But we discussed how there's a possibility that there are things that extend what the law defines, extends past what the law defines as abuse that would be considered abuse. Um, and then, anyway, so I want to get your thoughts on that. And then also, we talked about that the definition of what is abuse and what isn't is rather subjective. So I just want to let everybody know that while we are having a conversation about what defines abuse to us, this is a um, subjective conversation or subjective. It's the opinions are subjective and really, um, you know, just take it all, just think about it and, you know, add your own thoughts to it and your own opinions to it. This is not a hard and fast definition. This is not what the law, not what the law defines as abuse, um, but that's what we're here to talk about. So any thoughts to get us started on that track? Oh boy. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, when, so we were talking a little bit about how with the law enforcement seizures, there has to be, in order for the law to get involved and take a horse out of someone's custody, there has to be no food, like not even, they can have, there can be a hay bale on the property that the horses can't even access and that is considered food for the horses. So they're either yeah. literally no food, no water, or dead horses. Yeah, I remember when I got cash, and I had to pay for him. The law wouldn't take him. There was water, but it was stagnant, so they couldn't really drink out of it without being very sick. And then there was a hay bale on the property, but it was behind a fence that they could not get to. Um, and they, there had been a dead horse on the property the week before, but they removed it fast enough um, that nobody saw it. So because law enforcement saw food, saw water, and no dead horses, they would not remove any of the horses, even of a one or lower. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of the issue with that is that there's not enough places for horses to go. And so it has to be so bad that there's like it leaves them with literally no choice because if we confiscated every horse that you know wasn't being taken care of properly rescues would I mean rescues are already completely full Um, yeah and so it makes it really tough because a lot of people will say you know when I was working with the rescue a lot of people would ask like you know there's this horse it's not really being taken care of can you know what should I do to get get help for it and unfortunately people you know don't understand why we can't help in those situations but um it's very strict yeah definitely and and there's just so many horses that are not being cared for you know and obviously those standards are subjective like mentioned where you know what my idea of quality care versus somebody else's quality care might be different. Um, and so it's a very, very gray, fuzzy, fine, you know, there's no, it's not even a fine line. It's, there's just the whole thing. It's just a gray, fuzzy mess. And, yeah. um, and so the law draws the line at dead horses, basically, like there are animals actively dying. And for the rest of us, it's like, really, we have to wait until there are animals actively dying before we can save them. Yeah. But like you mentioned, there's nowhere for them to go. There's yeah. nowhere. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. Um, but then, you know, besides the obvious dead horses, you know, starving to death, death this is abuse. Um, we were discussing the possibility that abuse extends the physical as far as you, a horse, you can have a horse that is well fed and well taken care of from outside eyes. So like they have food, they have water. Um, They may even have like really fancy tack. They may live in a stall, like a really nice barn. But if the horse is suffering mentally or emotionally, or even maybe internally where we can't see it. So maybe the outside, they look shiny and pretty, but they're full of ulcers and they have stereotypical behaviors and they're aggressive and dangerous and scared. does that not also qualify as abuse in some way? And this is another very, very gray area, but I wanted to kind of dive into that. 
as far as what defines abuse um, in, you know, for you personally, as well as for me personally, because I have a lot of people ask me this and I'm like, that is such a loaded question. It's very broad. It is very broad. Um, We even started when you brought that up, we, we even kind of started, it's like, well, you know, it's, it's kind of this, but it's also this and maybe this and this and (laughs) wait, it could be this or this. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard because for me, I know I don't run a rescue, although I hope to one day have a nonprofit and all that, but you know, I can see these horses that are quote unquote, well taken care of. They're well fed. They're being fed really expensive food and, you know, all this hay and stuff. But if they're being kept in a lifestyle that is not appropriate for their species. So stalled 24 seven, um, being fed high sugar diets, going long periods without hay, um, being kept in solitary confinement. So without companions that, that, keeping those the horses in that way to me qualifies as abuse because we are no longer supplying the species with adequate accommodations and lifestyle for their needs and we're subjecting them to an endless just a um, chronic level of stress that their body is doesn't cope with very well um, and comes out in other areas which typically are behavioral issues Mm -hmm. And then what happens when the horses has behavioral issues, they start being subjected to a lot of punishment. Uh, so it's this, this cycle that is not necessarily intentional. I don't think that the humans are intentionally, you know, quote unquote, abusing their horses, but there's the possibility that could fall into uh, a category of abuse. If the animal is experiencing trauma by punishment or, an inadequate lifestyle for their, from them, for their species. Um, to me, that would qualify as abuse. Maybe there's different grades of abuse, maybe different scaling system. You know, is the horse actively dying? No. Yeah. Is the horse being fed? Sure. Is the horse have a pretty coat? Yeah, it's getting brushed. But that horse is living in its in a living nightmare. Um, that's torture to that species. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had one horse who, I mean, we, we often had horses come in where the owner um, would, you know, surrender the horse or give up the horse because of behavioral issues. And we often eventually came to the conclusion that these behavioral issues were not, I mean, it wasn't that the horse was just a bad horse, like something was going on in the environment that was causing it. Um, we had one horse who he, his owner gave him up because he was dangerous. He was exploding and um, just rearing. She couldn't do anything with him outside of the stall. Um, at, they said that he was uh, rearing and flipping. And um, what we eventually learned was that he was being kept in a stall 24-7, um, being fed you know, 10 pounds of grain a day and getting out once a week to, you know, be ridden. And, and then he was being ridden with a harsh bit and spurs and a whip. And they were like, this horse is crazy. And then he came to the rescue and he was no longer crazy. Um, But to them, to the owner then, um, 
it was horrifying to to her almost that he was then being kept outside like he was living outside he wasn't wearing a blanket he had dirt (laughs) to her to her that was abuse she felt like we were not caring for him even though donna be outside you know getting to just do whatever the heck he wanted he was super calm under saddle we never had any issues with him um and she felt like she was taking the best care possible with him and i know that she loved him so much but she just wasn't able to recognize that the reason that he was having all of those issues was because of his lifestyle and because he wasn't getting turned out so it was like an unintentional form of abuse. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't really the word abuse. It's hard. It's it's a harsh word and it tends to bring up pictures of starving, beaten, bloody horses. You know, you think bring up Black Beauty when you know, in my mind I'm thinking like Black Beauty when they're running them over rocks and like you and or ginger who's just like starving to death and being beaten and I'm like that it's such a broad term and I feel like maybe there's something another term that we could use yeah it's such a big scale Um, yes there's a huge scale but at the same time you know I would argue you know I've seen horses that are filthy dirty that their manes are just matted and falling to pieces and they um, their feet are a little bit overrun and you know they don't have a shelter, let's say, but they're out with their companions and they have forage access all the time and um, they're out roaming around and they get to socially interact and, um, and they're not being ridden. And that's, <laughs> I'll come back to that in a minute, but these horses are not being ridden. They don't have a job. They're not being put to work. They don't have a purpose um, as according to people. And so they're just these dirty filthy kind of like pasture ornaments that people like and i've seen people openly criticize owners that are like that and in all honesty in many of those cases those horses are probably happier and healthier and much better off than the horses that are being pampered and treated like kings and queens to us that's the difference is what's a king and queen treatment to a horse Versus what's being treatment to us. It doesn't matter really what we want or what we think. It has to be according to the species. Well, for a while, I I mean, my filly, she, um, every picture of her, she was filthy dirty. Uh, She was just, it was a disaster. But she hated being groomed. Uh, And we figured out that then, um, you know, she, it might have been a combination of she didn't she also had ulcers and so that might have made her more sensitive but um she was not groomed for months and she was filthy dirty but if I had just forced her to be groomed that would have been to her that would have been worse she doesn't care that she's dirty but it would have been trauma yeah you would have put her through trauma to get her groomed just so she could look good for photos when she doesn't really care care at all (laughs) um Yeah. And it's, I think probably a better term in a lot of these cases is, is it neglect or not, you know, versus the term abuse when we're talking about 
abuse tends to, you know, be more about like the starvation and the beating and the, you know, but a lot of these cases, it's more about what defines neglect is a dirty horse. Is a dirty horse a neglected horse or is a horse that is left in its stall 24 seven and ridden once a week neglected, you know, which one is the worst for, or is worse for the horse. And really at the end of the day, the horse is the one that tells us we can't just find that. We can't tell the horse, well, it's better for you to be in a stall whether or not you like it. And they're like, I know. Um, So yeah, it's just such a complex topic. Um, Yeah. And um, it, it can be very subjective because I, was remembering we talked a little bit about my show horse when I first got my show horse and when we actually first got this new yearling she also came from a, a show barn um they were terrified to be left out at night to them being left out in a pasture even though they had access to our are set up where they have access to the stalls that they're kept in when it's nighttime uh, we just don't close the, the stalls. Um, but to them, if they were not locked in a stall, they were terrified. They, I mean, my horse crashed through the fence because he was so terrified. And so for a while, yeah. we, he, we had to keep him in a stall at night because to him, being left outside was abuse. But well, I mean, that brings up a really excellent point. It's subjective also on the animal side, not just the human side, because, well, when I say subjective for the human, I'm talking about like for each individual person, what do they define as, as yeah. abuse? But when we're talking about the individual animal, their prior history, their conditioning, the life that they've experienced um, defines what's traumatic for them and what's not so you this is not just with horses this is with anything if you have a puppy that came let's say from a puppy mill or um, was just really isolated all during its development and never really was socialized around other dogs and then you just threw them out into a dog park that would be traumatic and highly yeah. abusive to me in my opinion because that animal is going through just flooding of uh, literally they're being flooded with social interaction which they're incapable of knowing how to cope with because they've never been prepared mm-hmm. for it and just like when you're talking about your horses that were used to being stalled um you can't just throw them outside yeah. and and say good luck that's how you're supposed to be that's not it at all like you have to take the individual um that doesn't mean that we should continue to keep them in the stall all the time just because that's what they seem to like it because we know that for the structure of the horse, the development of them and their mental and physical well-being, being outside and socializing is better. Um, but if you bring a horse home from a barn that they've been stalled at 24-7 and they have no idea what to do with themselves out in the pasture, you have to be systematic about it and be very cautious and careful and aware of their emotional states. Yeah. <clears throat> so that is not a traumatic, abusive yeah. situation for them. Well, and because sometimes that people will say you know well my horse likes to be stalled they like to be stalled but okay yes they like to be stalled because that's what's familiar to them that's what they're used to but we know that it's not as healthy as being outside walking around and that they typically are 
lest they don't get quite as many injuries when they're locked um, or when they're able to be outside. So do we just say, well, my horse likes being in a stall and leave it at that? Or do we work with them slowly and get them used to what we know is a healthy and eventually will lead to a happier option for them? Yeah, it's just like um, you might have a horse that's used to eating a high sugar diet and maybe they're picky eaters and uh, you just are like, well, that's not healthy for them. And just cold turkey cutting it off, just taking away that high sugar feed and then just trying to feed them, let's say, Timothy pellets, like soaps, Timothy pellets or um, a no sugar feed. They might, if they're a picky eater, might refuse it at first and then they might go through a long period where they're not eating enough. They might lose weight and it might be very stressful for them and it might really negatively impact their gut and their digestive system. Because um, so the sugar withdrawal is stressful. Well, yeah, I've been through that. I know how stressful that is. But um, so there's that aspect too. So because we know that feeding this high sugar diet is bad for them physically and mentally, uh, do we just say, sorry, horse, no more? Or do we do it in a low stress way that gradually re- or reconditions what they like to eat, how they like to eat? and slowly introduce that healthier food in there. I'm not saying there's going to be, you know, it's going to be all rainbows and butterflies, but we can do it in a way that is not traumatic to them. It won't cause other negative side effects. Um, And really, I mean, getting back to, you know, it being such a gray area as far as what defines neglect and abuse and all of that. Um, It's just, I really feel like the, well, where am I going with this? I don't even know. <laughs> it's such a complicated, there's so much, there's no one way to say, well, if you keep your horse in a stall, it's yeah. abuse. Well, clearly that's not always the case because like you just stated, uh, you know, you did have a horse, you keep your horses yeah. outside, but clearly this horse, putting them outside was going to be the yeah. abuse. So there was the this stage, this transition stage that needed to happen before you could put them outside. And it would have actually been abuse to turn your horse out, you know, if we're being that picky about what's defined as abuse or not, if we're, if we're including trauma into the abuse category, if we're going to add the definite, you know, what's traumatic for the horse mentally, physically, I think a lot of times, sorry, I'm going to go home, feel off to the side here, but a lot of times we define abuse as something that's physical. So it's physically abusive, um, starvation, beating them, things like that. And we forget about the mental. What's well, a mental abuse? We're well aware of the fact that this is present in human relationships. Uh, you can have a, you know, emotionally or mentally abusive boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, you can have parents that were emotionally abusive to you growing up. But we completely forget about the fact that this can happen with other species. This is not just humans. This can happen to our learners, so our horses or dogs or cats, whatever. We train them and, and interact with them in a certain way. We can cause trauma to them. And that falls within the abuse category. If you are caught purposely or even, you know, there's a whole bunch of, I'm sure you had all these experiences at the rescue where it was unintentional neglect that led to the horse being in a bad way where the owners didn't necessarily think they were doing anything wrong until one day it was like oh my gosh what have I done 
Yeah. Um, and but that can happen in other areas too, not just the physical is basically the point I'm getting to. These there's a lot of owners. There may be some owners that are intentionally causing trauma to their horses, but I there are very few of those in comparison to how many people, including myself, way back when that are unintentionally causing emotional trauma to our horses on a daily basis. And does that fall within the abuse category? Yeah. That's a big question. Yeah. Well, and then it comes down to as well, you know, how much do you like, I don't know, when do you say that, okay, this, this is abuse and this needs to change if the horse is being fed and is yeah. technically looks like, well cared. it could be a lot worse yeah it could be a lot worse when do we like I don't know when when should there be intervention because we don't want to completely ignore that but at the same time there's also so many things that are so much worse I don't know it's yeah. so hard to know like are there things that are like maybe we should just leave this alone not mention it not bring it up or you know do we need to bring those things up, even though they're they are a smaller scale? Uh, you know, the horse yeah. isn't starving to death, but things could be better. Well, but you know, I don't know that starving to death is that much worse than some forms of mental and emotional abuse that we can put our horses well, through. For, yeah, I mean, you can. You can a prisoner alive in jail in solitary confinement and they would rather die you know um actually there's an interesting study that was done on pigs and i'll have to pull it up for reference um where they had pigs that were hungry and also socially deprived and the pigs intentionally chose social interaction over food when given the choice after they had spent a period of time being starved and a period of time being socially deprived they chose social interaction over eating. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously I don't want to intentionally put a horse through that study, but there's something to be said for that. Are we so fixated on physical abuse, what we can see that we forget that emotional mental abuse is equally as damaging, if not worse in some cases, possibly. Um, But I mean, kind of where I stand for me personally you know subjective but is that the clear all out the horses dying there are dead animals on the property that does seem to be a good line for law enforcement maybe we could make that better I think we could I think we could do better as far as that goes but I'm have no intention of encouraging law enforcement right now at least to be um policing our interactions with the horses yeah. uh, as far as training goes and stuff like that that's just that's just not their yeah. job um to me that 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 job falls into the trainer's laps and the show organizations and the fbi and the aqha and um you know the jockey club and all of those organizations they should have a better definition of what's abuse and even rescues i mean the yeah the, i don't know rescues i think sometimes don't have high enough standards for the after the training training and you know what happens after the horse is adopted Um, I don't know I mean 
Well, I mean, they kind of fall into that same, yeah, like unless, um, as long as the horse isn't being starved and they're having their feet trimmed and they're getting their vaccines, they seem to be okay with it. But to me, you know, if I were to have my ideal nonprofit in the future, and I would hope to also see some other nonprofits be more like this rescues and such, because they would pay more attention to the training and they would spend more time on training the horses in a low stress, stress a low stress, a low stress, um, based on a low stress way based on the humane hierarchy. And there would be more education as far as training and behavior modification goes, but that there would be more time also spent training foster homes and potential adopters on how to also work with horses that way um, so that the horses were more likely to stay in their homes that they were sent out to. Uh, because I know, and you've told me, and I've heard this from other rescues too, there's a really high return rate for horses. Yes. Which is unfortunate. Um, but it's definitely, I mean, part of the high return rate is that when something starts to go wrong, since they have the option to just return the horse, people give up. They give up very quickly. Um, and so they figure, we'll just send them back and let you. It would be nice if that we didn't get to that point where something so wrong. It'd be nice if you cut out a little bit. Hmm? You cut out a little bit, say oh. that last part again. You said it'd be nice too. It, yeah, it would, it would be nice if that, you know, we didn't get to that point where the horse, now something has so gotten so bad that the owner feels like they can't fix what's happened and now they have to send the horse back. Yeah. Um, it seems like though, if, if more time were spent on the training aspect while they were at the rescue, they'd be more likely to stay there with their new homes, one, and then time spent with the adoptees mm -hmm. yeah adopters and um on the training aspect of it and then maybe if they're like rescues actually had an active singular trainer somebody that was working at the rescue that could potentially go out and do follow-up lessons with the doctors i just feel like so much time and energy is spent on the feeding of the horses and the health aspect of it that the behavioral aspect is just completely missed and that's what a lot of the return horses being returned is about. It's not about the health stuff anymore. It's about the horse acting up, the horse not being rideable, the horse being dangerous on trails, whatever, you know, I'm like, okay, well, the horse is sound and healthy now, but it has yeah. zero training well, uh, or the doctor yeah, has zero yeah. training. And that was definitely the biggest issue that we had was that people were adopting horses that really didn't have very much training and people kind of felt like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to train the horse. Like, I'm going to do this. We're going to figure this out together. And then they would suddenly realize, <laughs> they're like, ah, crap. I just took home a four-year-old unstarted horse and have no idea what I'm doing. Um, uh, that just yeah. killed me. <laughs> after we, after we kind of switched away from that and we started spending more time on the training and having the horses more trained before they left or um, being a little stricter on who could adopt an unstarted horse uh, we had very very few returns um, after switch to that because it was just the the home was just a better fit um, 
and the horses had the training and that matched the person's skill level. Mm-hmm. But sense. I definitely think that, um, I don't know, training is such a huge aspect of ensuring that a horse stays in a good home. Even if they are rehomed um, and they go to an uh, and, you know, the, the home that they were at was still actively working with them and spent a lot of time working with them. Um, they're, they're more likely to end up staying in good homes. But that's yeah. not always followed up on. Um, or like you said, it, we, they spend so much time on making sure that the horse is being fed that we kind of forget to think about, is the horse being trained? And then, you know, you bring in that aspect of now we have a horse that's transitioning homes over and over and over again. You know, they went from a bad home to the rescue, to a potential adopter, to back to the rescue, to another potential adopter, to back to the rescue. And that in itself is, can be very traumatic for horses. That transition period is very stressful on them. Um, and we're just, whatever behavioral issues we had before, you know, are likely to be magnified because they're going through so much stress of all those transitions. Yeah, that was definitely, we uh, focusing more on the training was that horses were being returned with way more issues than they left with. Uh, and then we had to yeah. fix those issues. So, and then that made it harder yeah. on the horse. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, the doctors and the rescue and none of those, and none of you guys and, or, you know, whoever else is out there is intentionally trying to cause trauma to the yeah. horse. Um, and they're not, that would be on, you know, what could potentially fall into for a very strict definition of, you know, mental, emotional abuse, but unintentionally. Um, but it's, it's not something that you guys, you know, better practices can improve it, but just because of the nature of life mm-hmm. <laughs> and stuff happening, you know, we can't avoid everything. Yeah. So my, you know, I ever mean to come across as I'm like, everything's yeah. abuse. You can't even look at the horse. Not like that. But I, I guess the point of what I wanted to talk about in this episode to wrap it up kind of, and um, is that there is way more it, it the idea of abuse and neglect is way more complicated than stalling and and um you know stalling versus turnout as far as if you keep a horse in the stall it's abuse i mean i've had people comment on my social media they see a horse in a stall and they're like oh my gosh that's abuse i'm like you have no idea what's yeah. going on and i don't that is an excuse either because i know people that say you don't know the full picture you know back off but when I look at the full picture, when I, and not that I said anything, but you know, when I see them comment about other people, two other people, you know, when you do dive into the full picture, the full picture is, is that they don't want to pay for a different board or they're at a training barn and that's just what's there. Or, you know, so it's more about the human. It's less about the horse. Whereas in a circumstance like we're talking about with your horses, it was intentionally to reduce stress on the horses. So you were actively making a conscious decision to 
reduce trauma to the horse. And that would be um, educated and ethical horsemanship, in my opinion. Um, but the back to the, what the point of the episode is about is it's way more complicated than just the horse is starving or they're not. The horse is injured or they're not. The horse is stalled or they're not. It's so much more complex than that. And we can go down the route of mental versus physical abuse, emotional abuse. Um, what is it healthy and ethical and sound that horses transition homes all the time? Is it um, good for the horse to, for only for us only to be caring about the physical aspect? Are they clean or are they dirty? I mean, there's so much more to it than just, it's a skinny horse or it's kept in a stall or you're using a bit. So much more complicated yeah. than that. And I think kind of to the point is that it really should just always be a learning experience. Like we're always trying to learn what can we do to make this better, to make their life better, mentally and physically. Absolutely. Because I mean, you and I both know we've both been down the route of doing things and then later going back and just being like, oh no, <laughs> what oh, did yeah. I do? <laughs> um and learning from those, and it's the act of learning from a mistake that's the important part. Not that I expect anybody to actually be perfect and never make mistakes. That's impossible, yeah. uh, at least it is for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's more about can we be actively pursuing making better choices for our horses? Can we be actively pursuing listening to our horses and what they're telling us? is traumatic or abuse to them versus our definition of it. Our definition doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It's the yeah. horse. The horse is the one that can decide what's trauma to them and yeah. what's not. I mean, you can look at dirty horses all day long and say, oh, that's abuse. But if the horses don't want to be brushed, I mean, it's not yeah. abuse then. Unless obviously your horse is, has a medical condition and they have to be clean. I'm not going to say every situation, yeah. but more complicated stuff <laughs> the weighing of pros and cons and what does the horse need and what are we working towards and you know their history and the future and all of that um, is enough to give you a headache and a I complex know. you're just gonna be like forget it i'm never gonna touch a horse again <laughs> just let them all be feral and wild no that's not the answer either i shouldn't have even brought that up <laughs> that could be i don't want to encourage no, yeah, well, there's, I mean, you can go down that route. You can go down that route. I mean, horses that are feral and wild, they suffer a lot. I mean, there's a lot of situations where horses, I mean, mo a lot of horses starve to death when they're feral. Uh, their teeth go bad or they get injured and they starve to death. So that's abuse. <laughs> um, it's, it's natural. It's nature. They're living a natural life. Um, it's not man-made death. It's not a man-made death, but it's, uh, we shouldn't be so swept up in the romantic appeal of feral and wild to feel like we're doing poorly by keeping horses domestically. I don't think that's the answer either. I think we can have a mutually beneficial relationship in such a way that both parties have a positive experience in a low-stress way and enjoy each other's company. Uh, and benefit from the relationship. I don't know if you agree with me, but I'm sure I feel oh, yeah. like you do. Yeah. 
Well, um, thank you so much for talking with me and flushing all this out. I'm sure my listeners will appreciate to hear from another voice that's not just mine for 43 minutes or something like that. So, oh yeah, this was supposed to be what? Um, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I told you like 20 or 30 minutes, but you know, I talked. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add before we close out? No, I think, I mean, I could probably go on for a few more hours, uh, but yeah. I yeah. won't. You and me both. <laughs> You'll yeah. spare us. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll have to have you back on in the near future and we'll talk about another very complicated subject. I'm sure that we could talk hours and hours and hours. About, yeah. But thank you for talking with me and uh, till next time. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more, head to my website, thewillingequine.com. Uh, on there, I have a, a very extensive FAQ page that offers information and answers questions about training in general, as well as my training and services and more information about The Willing Equine. I'm also available on most major platforms, uh, social media platforms, that is, such as Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. On my website, there's also a blog. I'm an extremely prolific writer. I love to write. So besides my podcast, that's another way to get access to information that I I share and also feel free to leave feedback I love to hear from you guys I want to hear what you think what you like what you don't like about the podcast and any changes you might recommend um, so if you are listening through Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave a review through there or you can contact me through my website or one of those social media platforms and I look forward to talking to you in future podcast episodes <laughs>